on how we can improve our physical health so that we can enjoy the life God has called us to, to the absolute fullest. What's going on, ladies? I hope you're having a great day. I am a Catholic wife and mom of three boys, and I am a personal trainer and run fitmomlifetothefullest.com. So I do all kinds of health and fitness coaching and programs for mostly moms, but some people who are hoping to be moms one day, some people who are not moms, etc. I am laughing to myself because I have to follow up with you that last episode, I was oh so proud to announce my excitement over multitasking that I was soaking my feet so luxuriously <laughs> while recording the podcast. And if you are a mom that have kids that can wake up at any time, you can just laugh with me at the fact that no, that really, they did soak for like the first 10 minutes, but then... My baby did wake up and I had to go get him and no pedicure resulted. I just soaked my feet. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that with you. I was feeling really on top of the world last time, but you know, pride comes before the fall. So here we are. Actually, go. I did not mean to, to lead in with that, but we are talking about, since I'm quoting scripture here, we are talking about today uh, living liturgically and how that can help you get lean. Also, Judah is with me as usual recording this episode. So that is not me sucking on my own fingers. That is him sucking on his fingers that you are hearing. All right. Uh, so if you guys have been around here for a while, you know that I come at everything through a Catholic viewpoint and I have a pretty good idea of what that means, what that entails for things. I do have a master's in theology and Catholic theology so I can understand and appreciate the background of a lot of things. So what I mean by living liturgically, and some of you are totally doing this and rocking this, and some of you who listen to have like grown kids who listen, who um, you will tell me like what you used to do with your kids and things like that, or just what you used to do in general with little kids. So some of you, I'm sure I could definitely take notes from, uh, and I'm always coming from that place too of, I don't know everything. I'm just going to share what I do know. I will say though, this is something I've thought about so much because I feel like we can tend to, uh, this is a big generalization, but a lot of Catholic women can tend to act like health and fitness has to be totally separate from their vocation as a wife and mom, or just totally separate from their religion. And I just see how it all intertwines so well that we were given this body. We are body, soul, spirit. We are, you know, a whole living being person and we're supposed to take care of all of it, which is why our health encompasses all of it, mental health, emotional health, physical health, etc. cetera. Um, and how living our faith would make us healthier, ideally. It's not going to take away from it. And I think about this very often. My husband and I talk about it often because it's almost like, to me, the healthier you get, the holier you're going to get and vice versa. If your intentions are all in line with that. So essentially, even the other way around, um, the holier you get, the healthier you would kind of naturally get. I know that's pa painting with really broad strokes where you can already raise your hand and say, what about somebody who has thyroid issues? What about somebody who has this? I'm not saying at all that I think, oh, most, you know, most holy people are, are skinny or whatever. I'm not saying that. Um, I am saying that if we can understand the why behind why the church has the rhythms they do, and we try to live it as best we can, it might work together, you know, with our health and fitness plan, you know, for our own good, for our good. So that's my belief. Uh, liturgical living is simply just living out the calendar year of the Catholic Church. So that's the feast days, the different liturgical seasons that we are in, like Advent or Lent, and, you know, following what the church 
recommends for that and what you feel called to do for that because a lot of this is personal. That's why I'm just saying this is what I do. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm not saying everybody. And it's been a total evolution through the years. What we do now is not what I've always done in my life. So, you know, we're all supposed to grow and we grow at different times and different things hit us at different times. There are many things that we have prayed about that we're like, eh, well, I'm not, you know, I don't feel called to that at this time, but maybe one day I would be. Or, you know, I don't think that is the best for our family, but let's do this and things like that. So totally personalized, just sharing with you what we do. So um, again, you might be nodding your head with me so far that you are familiar with Living Liturgically and you're like, yeah, Brittany, we... We get out the Advent candles every year, so we definitely live liturgically. And that 100% is. Uh, but again, in the ways that it can affect our health and going a little bit deeper in that, it's just kind of cool. This is just more of a personal witness, I guess, that I'm sharing today because this was something that definitely came to me later. Like um, I talk about how it can be easier to get things down into routines and systems before you have kids. Like, for example, if you are one of those people listening to the podcast who is not married with kids, that's great because you're setting yourself up for success of being able to just get all these things in in line and get them going and then adding kids to it and and whatnot and just starting their life as healthy as they know it, right? It's, it's That's ideal to not have to then change all these things over. But this is something that I didn't have all these routines or systems or whatever I was always it always felt like a struggle to live more liturgically like it was always this big goal of mine um I think last year was the first year maybe it was two years ago but I think last year was the year that it was the biggest focus for me of like how can I incorporate more liturgical living into our home and it was very hard to start implementing but now once I've set little traditions or little things that we do, it's become a lot easier. So I also want to encourage you in that, that if you walk away with one thing from this podcast that you want to try or you think sounds cool, I that's awesome. I just want to express that overall, I think the more we can align our lives according to the church's calendar, not just the you know cultural calendar and the year calendar that we're all following January through December, the more we can actually live out the seasons of the church the more it just enhances our overall health, or it could, is my point to this. So what, some things that we do, let me get on my little list here. Number one, on Wednesdays in our house, we fast from something. So Wednesdays was the uh, fasting day back in the early Christian church, as as were and are Fridays. So that's why Lent starts with an Ash Wednesday. Um, and yeah, just Wednesdays we fast from something it and it that looks different all the time right now I am breastfeeding so I'm not fasting calorie wise like I'm not having and I guess if you don't know this fasting is typically two small meals one large meal obviously extreme fasting could be just absolutely nothing or it could be bread and water there's different levels to all these things but on Wednesdays we fast from something in our house so I'm giving up sweets usually on Wednesdays um if my husband and I like to have you know Occasionally we'll have wine or beer during the week. Not often. It's usually just weekends, but we won't on Wednesdays. So that is the day that we fast. Um, my husband does do the two small meals, one large meal right now. And again, that might change for me when I'm not nursing. It just has kind of always hit where I'm usually pregnant or breastfeeding. So fasting rules are a little bit different. And again, no one's man- mandating Wednesdays. That's just something we started doing to offer it up midweek. Um, And then on Fridays, we abstain from meat during the year. 
And then, uh, and uh, the whole calendar year, usually, if we do, you know, have meat on a day that is not in Lent, we will offer up something else. But um, so those two I'll chat on for a second, because we are not fasting for the calorie difference. We're not trying to lose fat. That's not our intention. Our intention is religious. And then to, you know, be denying ourselves something that we want to offer it up and to more hopefully closely align our will with God's will. I know, you usually fall asleep. He's in the wrap right now. So already you might think, you know, well, doesn't that mess with your calorie counts or your macro counts and whatever? And that's where I simply just don't care. (laughs) And honestly, it does. It probably does. You know, I do say that I don't recommend on the weekends like super under eating because then it'll make you overeat the other days. But uh, first, first of all, right now I'm still using all my macros on Wednesdays because I'm not trying to undereat since I am nursing. Um, so it, it does for me just look like not eating sweets. So it's not affecting that at all. But when I am not nursing or pregnant, like I said, it's been few and far between, but I will, uh, limit my calories as well. I'll do this two small meals, one large meal, and it will be a lower activity day. That's usually when then I just take a rest day. Um, or... I just do lower intensity that day because I know I'm not going to have that much energy. And I just keep on going. This is somewhere where I'm not going to be a fanatic about it and think, oh, I'm messing up my whole metabolism because one day a week I fast. You know, it's something I'm offering up to God. I don't think that God is going to turn around and make me gain 20 pounds of fat from it. So (laughs) truly, that's just what I believe. That's where I'm just like, eh, I just don't care. It's just I, I follow, you know, what I recommend dietarily. But then I want to fast fasting day okay great um that's also something clients have told me who maybe leave during the night to do an hour of eucharistic adoration either really late at night or right in the middle of the night so obviously that's you know ideally we want good sleep all the time it's great for rest and recovery but one night a week you sacrifice your sleep because you're doing it you know in the name of offering it up to god as a sacrifice a sacrifice is supposed to hurt it's supposed to cost so that's, you know, that's great. That's totally fine. Again, it's our spiritual health and things as well. So, and I will do the same. And sometimes when I go to adoration that I will, I don't have an adoration hour right now because it's a little tough with the little man. But if I do go myself, you know, you get the gist, you just chalk it up to, okay, well, this day is not going to be the day that I go for broke in my workout because I was doing something else there. So that is what we do kind of fasting-wise just weekly on a weekly basis. And then if it's Lent in particular, we pretty much, we all choose what we want to give up for Lent separately. But in general, in our household, we just kind of give up sweets as a household. So this is where I really do, again, believe that if you're following everything as best you can, you can just kind of ride the waves. Like I just talked about with, yes, some days I fast. And some days I, you know, lose a little bit of sleep or whatever for religious reasons. I feel like it's all going to come out in the wash, okay? And this is a fitness professional saying that, who I get a lot of the science behind it and everything like that. But some of these things we don't have to be so meticulous about or obviously I would never tell you to sacrifice your faith for the alleged health of your body or in the name of hitting an ideal body fat. But I think that some of these just don't have to be so dramatized that it's going to matter so much if we're doing this thing once a week or something like that. So, and and if you are, this is where like you make up for it in Lent. If you go a little hard at Christmas time, 
you're going to make up for it in Lent. And that's just kind of, it's just kind of writing the natural cycle of the liturgical year and, you know, lining up your health with that. I've talked about before how as humans, we are made to put on a little bit of extra weight in the winter months because we are mammals. We are hibernating. Like it's in our makeup to naturally want to cling to fat in the winter and eat more comfort foods. There's a lot that goes with it. We have more cravings for comfort foods. We are going to usually put on a little bit more fat. It's ideal to get to a place where you can be okay with that. If you are pretty much at your ideal body fat and you know in the winter you're going to get a little bit more coating, shall we say, for those winter months, a little little extra to snuggle with, then, you know, you know that naturally in the spring and summer, your body starts craving the fruits and vegetables, things that grow from the earth that are, we can't always get in the winter months. We can because there's a lot of, you know, farming available to us all the time. But, you know, if we were really just eating what was in season, that's kind of how it would go. And that's what our bodies are made to crave and to do. That's why a lot of times in summer, we lose our appetites because it's so hot. We just want berries and salads and all that stuff. Hopefully, again, this is an an ideal situation. The problem that gets thrown in here, the wrench in the system, is that we have done so much to modify things so that we don't have to ride the seasons like that. You know, we aren't going to crave berries and salads when we were just eating chemically engineered food all winter because that is going it's literally made to make us crave more to make us want to eat more see what I'm saying so if we can get back to basics as much as we can eating seasonally living liturgically our bodies kind of fall into line and then they go through this cycle of you shed your winter weight in the spring and summer you might put it up and I'm not talking 20 pounds because obviously that would be a big metabolism problem to be gaining losing 20 pounds every year Um, you know, I've talked about that, that you want to keep it steady so that your metabolism isn't crashing. That's, you know, what happens with yo-yo dieting. But for me personally, I'm okay knowing I'm going to put on maybe a percent of fat in the winter months. And especially when I'm enjoying the holiday season. And then I will, and again, maybe that's three pounds, maybe that's five pounds. And that's kind of the range, like just being okay with that, knowing you're going to write it out. So I talked a lot about fasting or giving up. So that's what we do for Lent is definitely no sweets. And then again, we can give up other things sometimes. But on the other side of that, it means that on Sundays, every single Sunday, we have a treat. We celebrate Sundays as a treat day. We believe that Sunday is resurrection day. It's the day the Lord rose from the dead and we celebrate it every single time. So even in Lent, we do. And I know that one is totally up to personal preference because I've done Lent's where I've not had any sweets through the whole 40 days. And then there are some where we do on Sundays. My husband prefers if we do on Sundays, not just because he loves sweets, but because it is still resurrection day. So kind of breaking the the fast weekly for that resurrection day, um, we do that. So that means I am making some full fat, full sugar treats sometimes. Sometimes I'll make lightened up versions. Sometimes I just go whole hog and do, you know, a regular old cinnamon roll and I will eat it and I will not freak out about it. I will not die at the idea of the calories I'm consuming because it's once a week. It's not a whole day. It is one little treat and, you know, doesn't even mean that I have to eat the whole thing. Obviously, you can eat whatever portion you want to. But that's also, so that's how we do Sundays. That's also how we do feast days. So on, you know, in the Christmas 
sorry, no, in the Advent season, there's a couple big feast days that are fun to celebrate with food, like St. Lucy's Feast Day is one of them, which it's traditional to make cinnamon rolls or hot cross buns or something. And I do make cinnamon rolls on that day since I was just talking about them. And we will have that. And it's not a Sunday. It's a total extra, extra day as well. Um, another time where it looks like we're having lots of treats and we have lots of treats um, on the kids' feast days, on their saints' feast day, but also, because this one's coming up pretty soon, the octave of Christmas. The Christmas octave is the 12 days following Christmas. So um, I will try to make treats, maybe not every single day, but we definitely just kind of keep the party rolling from Christmas. <laughs> it's, you know, Advent is pretty tame. We celebrate a couple of those feast days. We're making treats on Sundays. Then we have Christmas, and it's kind of like whatever's going on after that. There's probably going to be leftover Christmas cookies. If I am eating one or two in moderation, I'm not stuffing my face with this food that's around the house. I'm not, because obviously I'm not condoning gluttony. I'm not saying, yeah, definitely fast and then be super gluttonous on the, on the feast days. It's not about that. It's about being able to, you know, celebrate them moderately which is difficult. I'm not saying it's not. For some of us more than others, some of us are like, no, I'd rather just have nothing or have it. So you have to know your personality a little bit with that. And, and that can vary food to food. There might be some food that you're just like, I cannot get started on that. So maybe you're like, yeah, Brittany, I'm just going to get the Christmas cookies right out of the house because they're too tempting for me. That's totally fine also. Again, I'm just sharing with you what it looks like in our house. I don't worry about having some extra treats that almost two-week period from Christmas until Epiphany, I believe that would be when the 12 days ends, um, that because I know that Lent is around the corner pretty soon in a month or two, I'm going to be having no sweets for more than a month. And that's definitely going to just squash any problem that I just created. If again, it was a little three to five pound gain, that's coming off usually during Lent just because I am sacrificing those extras. I will sacrifice sometimes like creamer in my coffee and the sweets and whatever else that I feel like doing because I just want to bare bones it and try to really truly make the Lent very sacrificial so that I can get to Easter and be able to celebrate, you know, religiously with celebrating that God rose from the dead. Not, you know, I'm not trying to like celebrate my own getting to eat sweets again is my point. I don't the things that we do in our house pertaining to fasting and abstaining are not for health reasons, but they can enhance our health. Even looking at, you know, the recommendation for fish, most probably I didn't look up the stats for you, but the American Health Association or whatever else, um, many places you're it's recommended to eat fish at least once a week. And that's why like magazines or nutrition oh, pamphlets will recommend doing a meatless Monday and maybe substituting a, a kind of fish in there, some nice quality salmon or haddock. But that's what we do on Fridays since we are not eating meat. So there are positive trade-offs that we are making in the sacrifice. Again, we're not doing it for the health benefits, but there's a lot that just does align. And it makes you think about that and wonder about that too, that so much of this was already done by the church for our good and by the early church. And one example that I always think about is how a lot of times Catholics will try to find some kind of substitute for meditation. And there's a lot out there that's, you know, dangerous for us to be dabbling in and would be contrary to our Catholic beliefs. And it's like meditation in and of itself is not against the church and is not wrong. 
we we kind of did it first is my point. I don't know, you know, tracing back the I don't really care to get DMs about this because I don't care enough. So I guess I should retract that statement before I'll backpedal a little bit. I don't know what uh, religion, Eastern, Western kinds of thoughts and things were doing things before the church. But I do know that the Catholic way to meditate originated with the rosary, right? It's supposed to be a meditative prayer where you are saying the same prayer so that your mind can enter into meditation. It has that repetition. And, and you know, for forever... The church has promoted sitting in silence and for taking reflection time, quiet time. We can, you know, look to the orders of monks and, of course, we obviously had hermits as well and have hermits, but uh, especially a lot of these religious orders, we can take a note from on how well they do silent time and reflection time and, you know, meditating on God's word. We have Lexio Divina where you're reading Bible passages, reading scripture and meditating on it. So... And that's right in the scriptures as well, that we should be meditating on the law of God day and night. So in that way, it's like a lot of times we, if we're not doing that, instead of meditating on God's scriptures, instead of taking quiet time, we're like, oh, I've got to fit meditation in. So I'm just going to look up some mindfulness app thing that's totally mainstream and filled with me sending out my energy to other people's energy. And <laughs> oh, if you're with that, I'm sorry, I'm not with that. So we might need to part ways here if you don't want to hear it. But um, there's there's a, another way, okay? There's another way. And I'm, again, I know, great, I welcome anyone who wants to listen to this podcast, but who am I gearing it toward? I am gearing it toward mostly Catholic stay-at-home moms. And whoever wants to listen, that's great. But you know what? I can tell you what I do and what I identify with because that's what I do. So that's our spiel on what our family does. I say our spiel because it, again, my husband can't be with me for this podcast, but it is what we do in our house. And I have never felt my physical and spiritual and emotional health, all of it, really come together as much as I have when I've really been able to get more into living liturgically and hopefully that's the same for my kids as well that's kind of my goal too is to show them because I get a lot of questions about that you know how do you not go crazy where you don't let them have any sweets but how do you limit it but this but that and it's like no they know you can ask my two-year-old knows he's not even two yet he will be at the time of this recording he turns two this week he knows when he can have treats because he knows that if we went to Mass, he can have treats. It really throws him off if we do happen to hit a daily Mass. But um, he knows that that is treat day, that we're going to come home and have treats eventually some point after Mass on Sundays. And our four-year-old definitely knows it. He'll ask before it. He will see Tim Hortons because he knows that. I know all of you are living in different places. Not everybody has Tim Hortons, but it's just a coffee and donut shop. Sometimes I will go through it to get a coffee. Sometimes I will go through it to get them some Timbits or something. If it is a feast day or whatever, I'm trying to think the last time I did it was because it was All Saints Day. That was why. And we had just went to a party the day before, but it was the actual feast of All Saints Day and we did go to Mass. So I took him to Mass and I took him through the drive-thru and he said, he's like, oh, is it a treat day because it's All Saints Day? He'll ask first though. If he sees Tim Hortons, he'll go, is it a feast day? And if I'm like, no, buddy, mom's just getting a coffee. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but then if it's, I'm like, yep, it's this feast day. He's like, okay, because he knows something good is coming his way. So that's how we do it. That's one of the ways we strive for balance. And sometimes balance looks unbalanced because obviously an octave of East of, uh, well, the Easter octave, but the Christmas octave, that's a lot of treats in a row. You're like, Brittany, wow, you have 12 days of treats? Like, 
But again, we're going to go a whole 40 days not having treats and not having sweets. So it's not this like daily, you had it, you don't have it, you have it, you don't have it. But in the whole scheme of the year, again, I think it all kind of shakes out. In my experience, it all kind of shakes out in the wash. So, <laughs> all right, a little something different today. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know at fitmomlifetothefullest at gmail.com or on Instagram at fitmomlifetothefullest. And if you did not enjoy it or have something else uh, you would like to let me know about, go ahead and message me. I also would love to hear ways that you and your family live liturgically. Again, I do not think I am the expert in this area at all. And I read all the blog posts and look at all the Pinterest posts from those who are and get all the ideas because I super appreciate them. But this is just how, again, we merge the health side and uh, both living liturgically and how I think it all works out. All right. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I will talk to you next time. Bye.